You are listening to the Union Smack podcast. This retro review of In Your House 12 was originally released on October the 27th, 2021, and may include topics both professional and personal that have no impact on the present day. Booga booga, it's that time of year. Halloween is upon us. We are back, though, Union Smack. Our episode has nothing to do with Halloween, but I just thought it was apropos <laughs> to mention that it was <laughs> Halloween season. And there he is, my co-host, Sneak. The, the audio levels are at their fullest extent. I, all apologies to you, first and foremost, for the little um, blunder, the little botch on my part. But, oh, Matt, you are so funky. Welcome back to this week's Retro Review, my friend. Oh, pleasure to be back, Travis. And, uh, yeah. Okay, thank you to everybody for the, the feedback on last week. We got some great comments. Yeah, we've got some great views, and it's just really good to be back. Indeed. Highest viewed thing on the channel this month. Thank you guys so much, man. We didn't know we were so missed. We we're just you know, we're just two guys <laughs> complaining about modern wrestling and reminiscing on old wrestling. That's just what we do. <laughs> that's, uh, that's our thing, and it uh, seems to work, so I think we'll stick with it. Hell yeah, and as always, we're going retro this week, as you can tell by the thumbnail, but before we do, as always, Matt, where can everyone catch you and all that you do? You can catch me on Twitter at Bruisermate, that's M8. You can go to lulu.com, where you can pick up a copy of The Undertaker, Trip Down Death Valley, NXT UK Year One, and go to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash Union Smack, where you can pick up the new Union Smack t-shirt, courtesy of Rocky Baye. Hell yeah, our main man, Sweet T, Rocky B. Thank you again for featuring us over there at Pro Wrestling Tees. It's so surreal to me still that we're on Pro Wrestling Tees, Matt. I know. It's, we thought it was a big achievement when we got onto Big Cartel, and now it's like we're on the premier wrestling t-shirt site. It's just mind-blowing. Amen. Thank you again, Rock. And now you can follow me on Twitter at Huss Hogan. If you don't get the joke, you will as soon as you see the profile. So yeah, catch me over there linking out all the goodness here on the channel. So much going on. New Terry plays for Halloween. Of course, the Hot Gobbler, Matt, in full effect. Who's your Who's your dark horse pick to win the Hot Gobbler this year? Just real quick. Uh, I mean, I haven't seen who's coming, but I'm hoping I'm in there somewhere, so I'd have to pick myself. Fair enough. Can't blame you there. <laughs> and I don't know. And everything else right here on the channel. Hit that red button down below. Subscribe. All the goodness. Retro Gaming. Pro Wrestling. All the podcasts in between. And Terry Belay's bullshit. Matt... Before we get to this week's retro review of In Your House, it's time! Um, we have our first ever, I believe, we're talking off air, in like four years, almost five of the show, yeah. first ever question. So we're going to start featuring that. Guys, every week, if you want to send a little Q&A or wait, just like we do over on Slam Pigs, we're more than happy to answer your question. Just keep it reasonable. And I, and I, I, th- I think I speak for you too, Matt. I'm sorry to stutter. Don't send us the typical, what do you feel about the ratings with AEW and the demographics? And don't, I don't want to answer that shit. Yeah. And I'm sure you're with me. No, no. No, I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. Like, they are what they are. Keep, keep it retro if you can. Keep it NXT UK. Keep it WWE. You can ask us AEW stuff. Bear in mind, I rarely watch it. And, you know, Travis is just beginning to like what they're doing. But, yeah. You know, send us questions, send them to Travis, send them to me, leave them in the comments below if you need to, but I think we can make this into a, a regular thing. For sure, and let's get to our very first one, I believe, the prototype. All the other questions will be held as a standard from Jacob. Thank you so much, Jacob. I guess new listener, first time question, obviously, since it's the first ever fucking time we did this. His question is a good one. Guys, Hokey gimmicks in the history of wrestling can either go one or two ways. It doesn't really matter what era, everyone seems to have their share of bad gimmicks. In your opinion, no matter what era of wrestling, from the 60s to now, what do you consider a timeless gimmick that you've seen over a time? One that you could put in any era of wrestling and it would work. I'm blown away wow. at how I'm blown away at how good of a question that is, first of all. That is very, very good. And thank you, Jacob, for sending that in. Um yes. You see, I should have asked you beforehand what the question was when we were talking off air, because now I've got to think very quick. I like, I like to keep you on your toes. I'm going to say when you could put in any era. See, there's there's quite a few. I'm tempted to go for someone like Repo Man, but I think <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to go like 
Road Warriors. I think they could fit into any era, era of wrestling. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Hand, ha- handled right or booked right, obviously. You know, you, you couldn't put them in now and do an ascension with them. But, I, you know, if you were to book the Road Warriors how they were booked in the 80s, you know, in the 60s or 70s, in the late 90s when they sort of fizzled out, or even in, you know, right up to 2021, I think there'd be a, a smash hit in any era. And I, I agree, and I, I think a big reason that is, too, is because, the you know, the basis of that gimmick is based off, like, Mad Max and post-apocalyptic. And it come, it's a gimmick based on the future yeah. and the unknown, so when you do that, you can pretty much fit, fit a future-type gimmick in anything. Unless it's Techno yeah. Team 2000. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's brush them under the rug. They were uh, something to behold. Yeah. And, you know, my heart wants to say Undertaker, but I think that's too obvious. I'm going to go a little left field now that I thought about this for a little. I've had It's unfair. I've had more time to think about this. I'm going to say the big boss man, the evil big boss man, because it's easy to have. I mean, police have been around since God knows how long. Authority figures since the Roman Empire and stuff, yeah. right? Like the soldiers. It's easy to hate that type of heel authority figure gimmick, the corrupt officer type. I think the big boss man would definitely fit in any era. Um, comes to my mind glaringly. I, 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 we probably both agree on The Undertaker. You could fit a zombie almost anywhere, considering Night of the Living Dead came out in the 60s. I guess we did tie this into Halloween after all, in a way. There you go. Yeah, we got a little Halloween mention in. Well, we could go wax intellectual on that topic all day, but I think that's probably the best two we could possibly give. And thank you again so much, Jacob. That was... You know what? I'll say Adrian Street, too, because if you put him in now, he'd make... Because of all the great stuff that's happened, or like, there's been... Culture has evolved so much in a good way as far we're much more accepting now to, to other yeah. communities, right? I mean, we're not fully there yet, but, you know, it's much different now than in the 60s. Like, in the 60s, Adrian Street would have been a vicious, hated heel, obviously, like he was back then. But now I feel like he could be a great baby face. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Oh, it does make sense. And we, we had sort of that with Velveteen Dream. Um, yeah. You know, that flamboyant personality sort of thing but uh, I, th- I think agent street with his ability and the character yeah you could slot him in in 2021 and no one would bat an eyelid we've seen so much wacky shit in wrestling that people would just go yeah okay let's give him a go and i guess if we're gonna throw adrian street in the hat we gotta put uh rico in there too same thing it's just a watered down version of adrian street rico jesus christ <laughs> though i will say i was impressed with rico after he dropped out the manager role from Billy and Chucky and sort of partnered with Rikishi and that. that. <laughs> or what even was that? The, like, could you the get amb- the ambiguous, to... the ambiguous gimmick with Billy and Chuck? I thought Rico did great in that role. The wedding, all that stuff. It's an, un- it's an yeah. underrated segment, that wedding and the Bischoff reveal. Oh, I love that when he, he tore the prosthetic face off. And... It doesn't get talked <laughs> about enough, I feel like. We'll save that for another time. I'm sure some way we always find a way back to obscure shit like that. So we'll make our way back to the wedding of Billy and Chuck one day, I'm sure. Well, let's get down to it, Matt. Let's strap into our DeLorean, go back in time. You're my Doc Brown. I'm Mr. Marty McFly. Where are we heading to this week? <laughs> and what we're, what number of In Your House are we at? We are In Your House 12. It's time. And this was December the 15th, 1996. From the West Palm Beach Auditorium in West Palm Beach, Florida. There you go. This was about a year after WWF and WCW started doing pay-per-views every month. This is one of those paper... Like, my parents would never get a pay-per-view in December, so I never saw one of these as a kid. Ever. Just because they were saving (laughs) up for Christmas, you know? I mean, logically, why would you... You know, unless, unless that could be construed as, like, a gift for your kid. But considering some of the matches on this card, I mean, what a shitty gift. Oh, man, what a shitty gift. And it started off shitty as well. You didn't get the free-for-all. I sat through all 30 grueling minutes of it, and there was one match. <laughs> I think it went about 10 minutes. And that match was Rocky Maivia versus Salvatore Sancia. And we said off-air, Travis. You went, sounds like a shitty match. And I promise you, it was everything you ever thought it would be. <laughs> Most people would think on paper, oh, The Rock's in it. Well, people don't realize this was, people weren't buying it. This was the lowest point of The Rock's career, right? When Die, Rock, yeah. Die, and all that shit. This this was one month after his debut at Survivor Series. And there were no Die, Rocky, Die uh, Okay, so we weren't, I th- yeah, you're right. Because I feel like that came when they rushed him in the IC title. And I think fans yeah. were, yeah, you're right. 
Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, there wasn't really much to it. Fans were behind him. <laughs> the, the, the thing that struck me most about this, um, obviously in a non-racist way, I have to say, before I say this, both, thank, and this was thanks to Tom Brandy, a.k.a. Salvatore Sincere's absolute epic tan job. They were both <laughs> the same colour. Like, if, if they'd have been wearing similar tights, it'd have been impossible to tell who was uh, who. Was who. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It, it's it's really weird. Like, back then, guys that did the spray tan, I feel like it didn't ever come off. Like, it, it like, like nowadays, like, MJF goes out there, Christ, the mat's orange by the end of the match. It comes off immediately yeah. with the guys. I don't know what the difference is. Maybe the spray tan's different. Who the fuck knows? <laughs> Yeah, but th th this was, you know, you would have had to watch this match through shades if you'd have gone through it twice. It was that bright. But as for the match itself, Travis, I mean, it, it was it was a standard superstars match, I think. You know, The Rock showed some nice agility, head scissors, kip-ups early, nice right hands before they became, you know, these patented slaps. But apart from that, the best part about it was Jim Cornette on the outside. You know, he, he, he did his best. It tends to happen when Jim Cornette's involved in something. Yes, it does. It's like Paul Heyman in, in 2021. Yeah. You, know, you, could watch, you could watch the most terrible match, but with him at ringside, it would be somewhat entertaining. Let me, take, let me address that, too. That's something I feel like, to, just to steer off the road a little bit, and we'll get back on track. That's something people in the, don't talk about enough as far as modern wrestling. With the Roman Reigns stuff, even though it's been great, what, imagine Paul Heyman not being there for this whole run of Roman. It would have just taken it down an entire yeah. notch for me. It just wouldn't have been as... Just Paul Heyman makes everything better. He's like throwing bacon on a cheeseburger. It's Paul Heyman. Exactly. And especially, I think, with this whole Brock... Roman stuff, you know, the, the reaction at Survivor Series, I think, made the majority of that that coming together, you know, because manager of both men, the crying, the hysteria, it, yeah. it's just been top. People say Roman Reigns has been, you know, the best thing in wrestling, and I agree. But I think Paul Heyman has to tie in for first place, like has to. Exactly. It's like you can't turn on your Nintendo Switch unless you have the power converter to plug into the wall. That's what Paul exactly. Heyman is to the Roman that, Reigns character right now. I totally agree with that. I'm still hanging on pins and needles that you didn't tell me who won this war between Salvatore Sensei <laughs> and Rocky Maivia. I can't imagine who won. Uh, Rocky Maivia <laughs> won by disqualification. Oh my god, he, some uh, things never change. No. Uh, Salvatore Sensei, he counted the flying crossbody from the top rope. Rolled through, but then he missed a charge into the corner. Rock hit a that awful shoulder breaker he used to use as a finisher. Mm. And then Jim Cornette jumped in and whacked him with the racket for the disqualification. I remember even as a kid, when he debuted at Survivor Series, and I saw The Rock for the first time, I was like, that's his finisher? That's it? Even that's then, it, I was so, it, so lackluster. <laughs> it's kind of up there with like Wade Barrett when it was just the wasteland. I was like, this guy was a great character. He deserves such a better finisher. You <laughs> know? Yeah, this it was terrible, and he just looked, looked like, and you protecting Salvatore Sincere for what purpose? Like this, this new guy that you're going to push into the Intercontinental Title picture by WrestleMania, and just you know he can't pin this lower mid card guy clean, like on the and on the free for all as well. It, the fans weren't even all in the arena by the time this went on. <laughs> We may have set an all-time wrestling podcast record for the most any podcast has ever talked about Tom Brandy, so I'm impressed with us. See, we, we break new ground every week. Every week. Back in the fold, baby. Let's get down to the official <laughs> pay-per-view kicks off your announced team. Classic trio, Vincent Mann, Jerry Lawler, Jim Ross. I thought these three always worked well together. If Vincent Mann's an acquired taste on commentary, I think you and I give it a pass because we grew up on him with the back body drop and the anything can happen, <laughs> just the excitement. The predictability, the worst thing about Vince on commentary is always the one, two, is a one, two. I hate the way he does falls. But other than that, this was prime like a month or two after heel Jim Ross. So he got some good little yeah. work shoot shots in there at Vince and the company and stuff. But uh, this official pay-per-view kicks off with the, on paper, looks like, yeah, it should have been on the free-for-all, but a hidden gem. Absolutely hidden gem. And before we get into that... Heal Jim Ross, because obviously I, I did these for a while 
alone last year, Travis, and we never got the chance to talk about Hill Jim Ross together. Let's do it. I think I slated him in my last review uh, in your house 11, the one with Owen Hart on the front. Do go back and check that out. Um, your thoughts on Hill Jim Ross and the whole bringing in the fake Razor Diesel thing. Do you think he could have been used in a greater role? Or do you think <laughs> that that was the glass ceiling for the, char- the character? Yeah. For one, it didn't help that this was the last gasp, the dying era of managers in that company, uh, like heel managers. But I think the initial execution, that initial promo of Jim Ross in the ring on Raw right before he debuted Razor and Diesel, um, yeah. that was fantastic because it was a great bitter work shoot from Jim Ross. There was a lot of reality in that promo. Great execution, horrible result. I feel like by the end of it, just wow. <laughs> You think it had gone somewhere better had had it been like a, a bigger name tag team or you know what someone that at least would have become bigger. One thing I think Sid was always missing was a mouthpiece, and they had their history of NWA together and blah blah blah. Jim yeah. Ross could have got behind Sid. Maybe that Jim Ross was in the ear of Sid the whole time to make him resent Shawn Michaels to make him turn on and hit Lazalethary in the chest a month before. Maybe he put him with Sid. It would have been better than any <laughs> anything. Would have been better than what they did. Excuse me. Anything. <laughs> Would have been better. I mean, may, okay, they could have done, they could have put him with like T.L. Hopper. That would have been worse. But come on, <laughs> Jesus Christ! All the goon, yeah, just, just misfit stable. Two weeks in a row, T.L. Hopper gets a shout out on the show. Wow. See again, breaking the ground. Talk about just baffling booking and awful characters that initially vince and pritchard and all those guys you know i'm sure they thought that the razor and diesel shit would have been hilarious and great and fans would have you know it wasn't them it was the gimmick we can get anybody over well you know <laughs> yeah no um, we've got razor and diesel coming up later so uh should we save some bile for yes, that little yes. segment <laughs> let's do that because i want to i want to bring this up because i never get to talk about him enough on any show i do and he was one of my favorites as a kid the amazing, innovative Two Cold Scorpio back in the day. Does yes. The, so the first 450 splash I think ever on American television was Two Cold Scorpio. Um, I think he he takes. Oh the really? Cake. I did not know that, but yeah, tremendous athlete. And I, I, can, I think one of my. Go ahead. Go. On. No, good. I was going to say, well, I think one of my favorite, not underrated WCW talents, but like one of my favorite. Mid-card talents, I'd say, in WCW. It's not often you have yeah. a favourite mid-card talent, is it? But I think him and Marcus Alexander Bagwell as a tag team were very underrated. I think your creator wrestlers of them in Fire Pro are fantastic, by the way, that tag team. Oh, well, thank you very much. Compliment accepted. <laughs> I, can under, I can understand when you sign a guy from another company and not being able to use the name he used in that company. I get that. But to take yeah. a guy like Two Cold Scorpio, who, in my opinion, is a, is kind of a timeless wrestler. You talk about timeless gimmicks. I think you could put Two Cold Scorpio in now, and he could be a contender for maybe a world title. Just with his his ring style, his build. Obviously, he's a lot bigger than some of the guys. Promo-wise, eh, I, Flash Funk was just so goddamn. As Vince, okay. Could Vince be any more just corny and just have a... Just a, a shitty view of what a, a, an African-American babyface should be. I mean, this was just misca... I mean, yes, too cold could dance, but a pimp? Like, the, the for one... Okay, and I know a lot of people are in the camp of, I don't care what they're wearing as long as... I don't care if CM Punk came back in long tights. I don't care. Well, I care mm. when the guy looks like fucking Prince, like they did here with Flash Funk, or, or, or a, a bad Power Ranger... Like his debut, the the outfit is distracting. It's that it's like Keith Lee's new outfit. It's distractingly bad. Oh my god! It might have been, but Vince loved it. Did oh you god. see his dancing? Did you see the way Vince danced? That might be the most animated he's ever been <laughs> on the commentary table as a good guy. I think like, I, he was into that shit. Like I think I saw like Vince, he was on heroin. I think I saw Vince do that one time before in that era with like Sonny where he danced at ring. And I think it was the exact same dance. Like I think Vince has one dance. But yeah, even yeah, on commentary, like he was like, Man, we should call him flying flash funk. Ha 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 like he just loved it was so bad. And you could ju- you could tell Jim Ross, especially when Vince was like his meat was like flopping in his face, dancing right beside him. Jim Ross wanted to be anywhere else. He was so embarrassed. 
Like, and I, I feel like everyone backstage tried to talk Vince out of this gimmick. I can picture it, and Vince was just not having it. Just not no. having it. No, we're going to make this work. It's good shit. Do you think Flash Funk, though, d- despite the name and the, the hideous outfits, could have been a serious Intercontinental Champion? I do. As just, you know, fucking Marcus, whatever is, not Marcus, excuse me, Too Cold Scorpio. And just put him yeah. out there in tights and let him have a great match. Occasionally cut a short but sweet promo. Have him dance a little bit. He doesn't need a goddamn pimp outfit to get over. Because look at his move set <laughs> for that era alone. His move set, shit. Yeah. And this match, absolutely tremendous. I think it highlighted everything that he could do if he'd been given the chance. And for me, by the time he'd gone from Flashfront to Scorpio in the Attitude Era, and they teamed him with. Uh, Ron Simmons. Do you remember that little yeah. short-lived tag team right, they, they had? Feuded, they feuded with, like, what, um, JBL and Terry Funk in, like, a terrible yes. little one-month Yeah, <laughs> terrible. I, th- I think by the time he'd gone through that transition, like, two years later, I think he was just not wanting to do his best stuff. God, why do we remember that little program off the top of our heads? That's one of the worst parts of the Attitude Era, was, like, that tag team. <laughs> I know. All I re- all, what I remember most from that is just him coming out in like braided hair, mm. this awful baggy top because he'd put on quite a bit of weight by then, and these hideous, I think they were peach or orange trousers with a silver strip down the side. It looked like he cut the top off a flash funk. I think he had the tights in that. Remember him doing like a one-off for ECW against RVD on one of their pay-per-views? Like yeah, they would exchange. I remember that, yeah. He had those weird tights too, look like like kind of Brutus Beefcake, where a grenade exploded in their pockets, and he had the like his, but it was like these <laughs> holes on his thighs, and like you could see like his underwear. It was fucking dumb. Like <laughs> I don't know. Riv- oh, riveting take. I'm sorry. I'll pick up my intelligence a little bit with a little more better grammar. <laughs> his, we're, you know, we're not giving the devil his due. On the other end of this match is another guy who got his. I would say more than enough fair share of shitty gimmicks. Right in the middle of one right here with Leaf Cassidy. Marty Marty Jannetty was just fired, actually, what, a week or two before this? Yeah, he was. He, he did Survivor Series, and then I think like two or three weeks after Survivor Series, which would have been about a week before this, yeah, he, uh, he departed. One the, of his many departures from the company. The new rockers, Matt. What a... What a God, new any team with new anything is destined to fail. I feel like new blackjacks, new Midnight Express. I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously everyone's gonna you know say the obvious right now of the one you know longest dominant tag team title reign in history from New Day, but I think that's a little different. They're not trying to be brand new versions of an old gimmick. No, no, I I, I can see what he was trying to do with new rockers, but why? You know what I mean? It's like, all right, new era. They were they were desperate for tag teams. Uh, Furnace and Lafon didn't last very long at all, especially in the public eye. Yeah. Um, you had Razor and Diesel challenging for tag team titles on this show. So, yeah, so the tag team division wasn't that great at the end of '96. So maybe you know he was trying to make them into the next Sean and Marty, but you know, gimmick had died. Time had passed too much. And Leif Cassidy was no Shawn Michaels. This was an the, the team in general was an out of time gimmick. I think this is one of the first signs yeah. ever that Vince McMahon was starting to be fully out of touch. And for all the shit that people give Vince Russo when he came in, he at least sped the product up to times. Like the the Rockers is an eighties band. It's like a hair band. This is the era ninety six of like grunge and Nirvana. That shit was not cool anymore. So that and no. I know they booked him as heels, but at first they didn't book him as heels. They tried to make him baby faces, and it did not fucking work. <laughs> they didn't work as baby faces. It didn't work as heels. Um, Leaf Cassidy didn't work as a singles wrestler. You know, luckily he'd depart. He'd go to ECW. The Al Snow gimmick would be born, and then he'd come back. I mean, they didn't do him any favors when he came back, feuding with the boss man over a dead dog. But <laughs> you I know, feel- at least Al Snow was better than Leaf Cassidy. I feel like I'm always in that extremely slim camp on the internet that Avatar should have worked, goddammit. I didn't fully hate Avatar. I mean, I have no opinion on Avatar one way or the other. Like, he, he was just there for if, me. If after the match he would have taken the mask off, maybe it would have got over more. 
But like he came out, yeah. put the mask on, but it was just dumb. Like all the mystique was away. I don't know. But, yeah. <laughs> this match, though, my God, this was you could put this on TV now on an AEW or something, and I feel like it, it would be totally passable. There was moves in this match I'd actually never seen before, like this uh, little like modified sit down face buster from Al Snow, like when Scorpion yeah. tried to do a head scissors in the corner. There was one. There's one glaring botch in this match that we can't ignore. I think it was towards the beginning of the match, and Scorpio tried to do like a, a cross body off the second rope and totally miscalculated. <laughs> he, went, he went straight over the top of it. <laughs> totally miscalculated. Do you think that right there is where the dream died, where Vince saw it and he's like, well, this gimmick sucks now? No. No, because <laughs> no. this, gimmick, this gimmick went on and on, didn't it? In, well into 97. Yeah. Um, no. Look, one botch... Um, but they brought it back. Great match. Great aerial techniques. That that dive he did over the top rope. Yeah. Uh, we, we were talking off air about Mark Moreau's dive. We'll get more into that later. But he got hang time on that, that dive and on Leaf Cassidy. That was brilliant. And I, I think more than anything, I think both men went out here. You know, they were told they are going to open the show, and they both went out with the determination to prove the man signing their checks who was sat at ringside that they were better than not only the gimmicks they had but they were better than the spot that you know they felt they were gonna always be saddled in well the company saw the other side of the fence too and there's their you know this was the very beginning getting their shit stomped in in the ratings by wcw and they saw what wcw was opening their shows up with with these amazing cruiserweight matches that nobody had ever seen before in america and they didn't a year later they'd have a little mini cruiserweight division with like brian christopher and taco but we weren't there yet so these guys are probably the closest thing they had and so somebody was obviously paying attention and in the ear events like look we got to open these shows up with a banger like WCW is, it gets the crowd, and I I totally agree with that sentiment. By the way, you open a show up with a banger, it gets the crowd ready, cool them down a little bit with the second match, you know, but get them right back in there with the third. Yeah. And I think there's a there is a formula to booking a perfect show, and I think that's how you do it. That's a great way to start a show. Absolutely, and I think this would have been an absolute top notch intercontinental title match. Like if this had been for a title, I think it would have been remembered as opposed to just a match that opened up a show that most people have probably forgot about by now, which is an injustice, I think, because it was so good. Let's talk about another injustice in this match, the underrated intensity of Leaf Cassidy as a heel. And I'm not even joking. Like, I think, like, his, 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 his facials were good, like him, like, talking shit to the crowd. Like, he was intense in this match. You could tell, like, he was... Yeah. He was trying to breathe a new life in his career. He was he was out of the shitty Rockers gimmick now. He still had the name, but at least he was out of that team. He was trying to show somebody backstage what he's capable of. Yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, and, and the intensity and the, the Al snow let's say, was there. He just, I think he, it felt like he was saddled by the gimmick. You know what I mean? He wanted he wanted to do things that weren't in the gimmick gimmick realms if you see what, what I'm saying, but mm-hmm. it would work out for him in the end. I never thought I'd live in a world where I'd say, after a Flash Funk and Leaf Cassidy match, it's kind of all downhill from here, but here we are. And I'm saying that since. Flash Funk wins, yes. by the way, for anyone wondering, with an impressive 450. And for anyone else that's never seen Survivor Series 96, he literally just debuted a month earlier, so they, this was, of course he was going to yeah. win, they are trying to get over, and Leaf Cassidy was, hate to say this word, but he was pretty much job squad this time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Enhancement talent, but a very impressive enhancement talent exactly. from this opening match. Where did that take us to next, Matt? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> this took us to the Tag Team Championships. Uh, <laughs> Diesel and... Oh, sorry, Fake Diesel, I should say. Ben <laughs> Jacobs and Fake Razor Ramon, Rick Bogner, challenging Bulldog and Owen Hart for the gold. And before this match... I have to say, we were treated to what was a promo that the Bulldog must have been reading off a cue card behind the camera. <laughs> because he, he never looked at the camera once. He was always looking to the left, was it yeah, the left of it, like someone was just dropping cue cards for him all the fucking time. And God knows, you know, this is the home of loving the British Bulldog and, you know, honoring that guy. Of course, we're a UK podcast, basically. But... This is that's pretty. You just described every British Bulldog promo for me in the history of British Bulldog promos. He was never good on the mic. No, the one thing I will say about this, he was coherent at least because he was reading it. At least he didn't have to 
memorize it when he was smacked off his tits. I, you know what? I'd still rather listen to the Bulldog Cut a Prima than Seth Rollins currently. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my fucking hell! <laughs> Jesus Christ! Shut up! <laughs> and I know I'm supposed to hate it, but it's just it's go away heat with me. It's not good. It's not good. This match, we're going to part the seas a little bit here because we talked a little bit in DMs last yeah. week. You know, we're not going to fully agree on everything here. And I think that's a good thing because if we agreed on everything all the time, it would be a boring fucking show. Bogner Mania running wild for me. I didn't I didn't love the match, end ring-wise, but I think it was, it was... I mean, Owen Hart's in there. How could it shit the bed? I don't think this match shit the bed at all. I think I think Bogner and Jacobs obviously probably had a lot of nerves going on their first prominent you know role. Bogner was in FMW before this, and of course Jacobs from Smoky yeah. Mountain. Isaac Yankum, he'd been there for a little bit longer, but uh... <laughs> it's just this gimmick. It's so hard to take it serious when it's an impersonation gimmick to begin with. Yeah, I agree. And um, but Rick Bogner, who I think died, was it last year, the yeah. year before? Yeah. Rest in peace. But I think he was a very good race Ramon um, outside the ring. You know, the way he portrayed it, the way he copied Scott Hall. And then I think he added a little bit to it. It's just a shame that he ever had to wrestle. <laughs> oh, my God. This this Razor Ramon, fake Razor Ramon, as is more commonly referred to, it was punches that never really connected you know, it, it was just chin locks and more punches, and it just wasn't very good. He lacked the intensity of Scott Hall in the ring, yeah. but sort of made up for it outside. It was it was a weird portrayal, in a way. I'm totally with you in the sense that I feel like he was 100% the weakest link in this match. And I was actually, when I was watching this match, I was impressed at a young Glenn Jacobs. How agile yeah. he was at this age for a big man. And I see now why... They gave him the cane gimmick. They're like, they're like they, they, we can't squander this fucking guy. We can't give this guy away. Look at this guy. Look how he moves. I mean, he was one of the most, maybe the most underrated worker as far as big man in history of wrestling. Possibly the best worker that was a big man ever, in my opinion. Up there, right there with Taker. That. Yeah, and you wouldn't have ever got that from Isaac Yankum. Looking at Isaac Yankum at SummerSlam 95... And then fake diesel in December '96. Like, is this actually the same man? But yeah, he, he upped his game. He improved his game. Like you say, very agile, and would only go on to get better from here on out. Here's what I think happened when they first brought him in with Isaac Yankum backstage. They, they restricted him on what they wanted them to do in ring. Like, okay, we want you to work this style. With Diesel, it was like we want you to work Kevin Nash's style. With Kane, I think they were finally like, all right, you're a monster now find your style and go out there and be Kane. And I think that's yeah. when we fully got the best from Glenn Jacobs, who's now a yeah. fucking mayor. So that's weird. <laughs> mayor Glenn, yeah. But this match, Travis, I mean, I know you liked parts of it. I found this boring. I found it labored. I thought I thought it, they concentrated on everything else other than the match, and it just took away from it. Like, you had the Steve Austin British Bulldog rivalry in here you know austin would come down part way through this match and then they'd have a a little tussle at ringside and the only thing i really took from this was what a shame that we never got a austin bulldog three four month pay-per-view rivalry that's the only thing i could take from this what about i think then they tried to and he was jeans bulldog but then they realized real quick that this wasn't I, the baby yeah, there, boy there smith was a there was a little bit in 1999 yeah. before Austin disappeared at Survivor Series. But, like, 96 Bulldog and 96 Austin, that could have worked very well if they'd have put anything into it. I think one of the reasons the Bret Hart and Steve Austin feud is one of my favorite feuds, if not my favorite feud of all time in wrestling, is the slow burn on it and how slowly the seeds were planted. If a lot of people yeah. go back now and just randomly watch this and they didn't see this entire story play out at the time like you and I did live, it was like, why would Steve Austin just randomly go against the heel Bulldog? They have no path. Well, it was the slow burn to Brett reconciling with heel and Owen in that classic segment on Raw. I think that that all yeah. built to that, and then they kept building and building, and it was just oh, chef's kiss. Tremendous. <laughs> it, it was, I also liked it because it was almost like Austin had his moments against each member of the Hart Foundation, 
And then there was like the final boss in Brett at the end. It was beautiful timing too, because he already, the first one he technically had heat with was Brett, but Pillman and him had so much prior history. That was a perfect way mm-hmm. to get him in there to start it off, breaking his ankle and then boom, off to the races. Oh yeah, definitely. Now, obviously I... when you look in a WWE title picture record book, you will never see the team of Diesel and Razor being the champion. So I think we know who won the match. <laughs> uh, yeah. The ending was very good. When I say the only thing I positive I took away from it was, you know, we never got an Austin Bulldog thing, which we which we should have done. Uh, the ending to this match was decent. You know, Owen Hart was the spinning heel kick to Diesel, wasn't it? Oh, was it Diesel or Razor? I think it was one of them when they went for the move. Razor. And then the Bulldog. Razor, there you go. I have, the I have Bogner taking the, the fall on my notes. There you go, yeah. So it it was he set him up for the razor's edge, uh, and then Owen came in behind the referee's back, spin and heel kick, and the bulldog just pinned him. Crowd for the win. crowd fucking went nuts too, and I, we'd never really seen him cheer Owen Hart for years. <laughs> and and I think it was a case of well, pick your poison. You have two heel teams. Obviously, there's a superior yeah. team in this match, so we're gonna get behind them. And I think Bulldog and Owen, obviously, that you can flip them either way at any time. The book can make them babyface or heel. They're that good. Yeah, and you're never going to cheer fake Razor and fake Diesel, ever. Especially the no. way Rick Bogner performed in this match, which was below par. And but I... then after this match, Austin comes back, attacks the Bulldog, and Owen Hart just stands there like, fuck you, I'm not helping. <laughs> yeah, but there was the tension with the Clarence Mason gimmick and you know stealing him from Jim Cornette and all that shit. Yeah. It's a, it's crazy. It just I just realized it too. For this one month, I go back in the annals of the history of wrestling. Razor and Diesel were in the tag team title picture in both companies at the exact same time. Well, there you go. A little smack fact there for you, ladies and gentlemen. Insane fact, Matt. Where are we at next? Oh, we are at I think one of the lowest points of this show that wasn't an in ring segment. This was Vince McMahon. And Ahmed Johnson Oof. just doing a an interview that could have easily be done backstage, but no, he has to bring Ahmed out, who's returning from injury, um, a legitimate injury to his his uh, I think it was his kidneys or his liver, one or the other. It's in the Undertaker book. Do buy it from Lulu.com. Cheap my, plug. My my um, I'm twitching. My senses are tingling. My fanny pack alert is firing off right now. My God, the out. <laughs> let's get to the outfit. Track suit, fanny pack. Jesus Christ, Ahmed Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what was goodness. he saying? Like, did did you get a transcript? Yeah, 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 you're going down. You're going. Was this the birth of you're going down? I feel like it was. Uh, this was, he barked like a dog. He muttered <laughs> something under his breath. Vince announced him versus like a Farouk. Dog. That's great. <laughs> he, he barked like a fucking dog that was chained up on the fence. Vince, I, I got Vince announcing him and Farouk for the Royal Rumble. And then the Nation of Domination came out. And Farouk got on the mic. And I couldn't understand what he was saying either. Yeah. I... Like, fuck with this. And Farouk is one of the most underrated promos in the Attitude Era. Like, when he was feuding with The Undertaker, he I feel like you could understand him. And he was doing the Uncle Tom promos, and it was great heat. And he was good. But here, what was, I think Ron Simmons was having a few Mai Tais with somebody backstage, or a few Coors Lights. A little slur in his words. and Yeah. I don't know. This, this I, I, you know, Between him and Ahmed, just absolutely inaudible promo. It's lucky Vince was there. <laughs> It'd just be two two men just muttering and barking at each other back and forth for about three minutes. Yeah, it, it, these promos are rough for Mamet. That's a big reason it never worked. Jim Cornette on this podcast over the years, like I can't under fucking stand this guy. How could the people? And no wonder. He, I mean, good God. Looking back though, it wasn't a good. Was it a good program, in your opinion? I don't think it was a good program with Farouk but I do think we got some good matches out of it, shockingly. Some heart like the street fight at Mania. The Rumble match wasn't terrible. Um, oh God, I'm going to have to cast my mind back to the whole fucking program now. I didn't... I enjoyed it, I think, as a child. I didn't enjoy the uh, Gladiator Farouk. That's where yeah. it all started. Yeah. When Sonny brought Farouk in, Gladiator helmet, little smock skirt thing and then Carrying cross. yeah I, 
I didn't think it deserved the Intercontinental title to be sort of based around it. Yeah. I don't know. I have vague memories of the Rumble match. I've not seen that match specifically for a while. Obviously, the WrestleMania 13 street fight was epic. So, no, I'm going to say no. Not in my opinion. This wasn't a good program. It wasn't even a good story. And, of course, it will culminate in Ahmed Johnson joining the Nation of Domination down the line. <laughs> and, you know, should we just say the death of the Ahmed Johnson character? Yeah. Oh, definitely. It made no fucking sense then, and it makes less sense now why he joined the nation. Did that? Speaking oh, of no. stories, did that take us to the little the little video package of Mark Merrow and Triple H's little history going on? It did, and I think this was a mistake because you know this was December, and it it made you realize that this had been going on in one way or another since WrestleMania twelve. Yeah. That little backstage. Thing they'd had where you know was it Mero that got thrown into the uh the garage doors no he threw triple h in the garage doors that's the right that's right yeah and it was like this is nine months of a feud what the fuck are you doing you got nothing better and they only mixed it but... up a little bit by like sprinkling in matches with gold dust at SummerSlam. but i mean i guess it came yeah. full circle with gold dust in this match and turning gold dust babyface and you know triple h winking at marlena Really, they had so much, I feel like, for to work with as far as the IC division this in this year, they just didn't. Yeah. They were just Vince another guy right here, Vince McMahon was so in love with this gimmick. I, obviously he was we know now he was more enthralled with Sable than Mark Marrow. Mm. But man, they really, really tried with Mark Marrow. And I feel like yeah, and yeah, I and I agree with this. I forget whose podcast it was on. I think why Mark Merrow didn't work is because Mark Merrow was only programmed to ever work like Johnny B. Bad, and when he wasn't allowed to do that, it was just meh. Yeah, I agree. I do agree with that. Yeah, he he had nothing apart from the Johnny B. Bad, but then the Johnny B. Bad character was a heel, and he was trying to work heel as a babyface in a way, and it just wasn't clicking. Yeah. And the thing, I think, like. Yeah, all right, yeah. There was gold just in between at SummerSlam. There was a little Steve Austin feud. The after Farouk King match Green. where he won the belt, but, right? But I think the entire, you know, best part of this feud, and, you know, there was a couple of matches where Mero and, and Helmsley did okay, but I think the best part of this for me was Kurt Hennig. You know, he, he had very yeah. little to do with it apart from a few weeks, but his whole story from being a, a mentor to Mero to finally turning on him and then Helmsley turning on, on Mr. Perfect to, you know, finally send him out of the company. That I was, think that was the best part of it. That was one of the most underrated swerves of that era too. That swerve really got me as a kid. Cause I, I remember watching that Rawls kid and being hyped for Mr. Perfect coming back to wrestle triple H yeah. and then just hitting my Mero with the chair. They got me. Yeah, and that, I, you know what, I like that they never forgot it as well. And when Perfect came back in the 2002 Raw Rumble, they <laughs> sort of played a, played a bit on that in the weeks after. It wasn't, you know, anything major. But, yeah, there was something there that they played on from uh, seven years earlier. Yeah. yeah. What did you think of this? This I think this match went way too long, for one. I think yeah. the, the crowd was not into this match. No, I wasn't into this match. Uh, and yeah, I, I sat through the Mark Merrow in your house matches. You know, when I reviewed them last year, <laughs> the, the nightmares. Um, I remember the be, the Beware of Dog one was like watching paint dry. I remember that match. Oh, I can't even remember how I reviewed that match. But, you know, it's here on the channel if you want to find it for everyone listening. But this, Travis, this was, oh a slog you know when you watch a match and you think that was difficult to just to sit through yeah. and it was just the same old stuff by both men you know helmsley was looking to brighter future with goldust at king of the ring uh sorry at raw rumble you know the uh there, let's, the let's of china we can but, sugarcoat oh. some things if we want but let's say what the big it, the characters in this era just sucked in this company wwf's care this is one of the all-time lows they were terrible 
Mark Mero, why is he the wild man? Why should we give a shit about a guy who has one of the hottest, you know, women in the world? <laughs> well, fuck that guy. You know what I mean? And I think if this is right before, like two years before, like sex was such a selling point in WWF. I think having Sable out there with the baby face was, was a bad booking for one. But I think two, it was, she was distracting because you never really saw anybody like Sable besides Sonny. And I think Sable took that beauty and shit to a whole other level where it was ultra distracting, especially in those outfits. For a young, for a young Hibiki out there, my goodness! Um, no, nobody <laughs> gave, no, nobody wanted to root for the guy who has everything going well for him and comes off nah. as just I stole your girl and I'm fucking arrogant. And that's what Mark Mayer always kind of was, even as Johnny B. Bad with the Kimberly stuff with DDP. He always kind of seemed like a douchebag stealing her from DDP and blah blah blah. Just I, I don't want to root for this tool. Like yeah, he's got a great move set and blah blah blah. But and I feel like another character at this time who was kind of outdated the the mullet hair this was a this was a late 80s early 90s now mark marrow wwf in 91 my god jesus christ fucking star right yeah. there i feel like i don't care what anyone says i think it's just an out of time gimmick again out of touch yeah i mean uh, they could have played on the him trying to wrestle sable away from elmsley more i think that may have adhered fans to it a bit better but yeah, but by the end of 96, I, I think novelty when he came in at WrestleMania, yeah. fans liked him for a little bit, and then he just became another face in the in the crowd. Yeah, especially when you had that, it was a way more younger global demographic too, when Mark Merrill first debuted, yeah. it was like, yay, Johnny B. Bad's here, and then you see his debut and his gear and his music and the way he works, like, oh, this isn't Johnny B. Bad, and then everyone got disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. What was the finish exactly. to this yeah. this this war, Matt? Oh God! So finished this war. Goldust. Yeah, they're both on the outside. Goldust appears with the gold intercontinental title. He nails. He goes to nail Helmsley, who ducks. He nails Mark Moreau. He then hits Helmsley with the belt, and the refs count into ten. And just before he reaches ten, Moreau jumps in and wins the match by countout. And then Goldust attacks Helmsley in the aisle after this to set up their Royal Rumble encounter. A.K.A. to, to the Cliff Notes version of that, what Matt just said, a complete waste of fucking time. <laughs> yeah, this was, what, 13? That's be 13, nearly 14 minutes, most probably, yeah. to end in a count-out. Oh, this company. And worse still, Travis, I, I did look, I do my research, Helmsley beat Moreau again. Well, I'll say again, for the final time on the Raw after this. So there was a rematch the night after on, on Raw. And then he would go to Goldust at the Rumble and then drop into yeah. the Rock. So, Yes, that that was his traje trajectory into uh, 1997. All of that hot potato with the belt just to build up to this goddamn guy we just gave this gimmick to. who's going to break out and be a top guy in the future. Start him out with the workhorse title, the Sultan. WrestleMania. <laughs> oh my god, I remember that. Rocky Maivia versus the Sultan. Big, and Rocky Johnson get... came out and took a shirt off and started helping his son. It was terrible. It's fucking awful. <laughs> I mean, we'll we'll get to WrestleMania 30 one day on this show, but could you get a more pre-show superstars match on a <laughs> WrestleMania card than that? Dare I ask, and I think I know where we're headed to next. <laughs> we are headed first we're headed to Doc Hendricks good old Michael Hayes with Psycho Sid and <laughs> what is wrong with the audio on this show because I swear apart from the last what four words Sid just whispered this into a microphone that didn't exist yeah pretty much it was almost inaudible and, and the the yeah. awesome look of the backwards hat on Sid with his poof hair was, yeah. 96 fashion, ladies and gentlemen. Like, it looked like a fucking yarmulke on Sid's big head. Goodness. It did. It did. But the the main point of this, uh, this promo was basically to show fans who hadn't seen Superstars, which air aired earlier that day, the confrontation between Shawn Michaels and Sid, where Shawn Michaels attacked Sid outside. And then Bret Hart attacked Shawn Michaels, and then Sid attacked Bret Hart from behind, thus you know helping to add meat to the bones of what would be the main event on this show. For what it was, it was a decent little one-minute you know pull apart. Oh. It was all right, especially for it that was, era when you didn't yeah. see a lot of that. 
Yeah, I mean, you, you never saw a lot of it backstage, but still. You know what I mean? It, it was all over the fucking place. It, and it, it, it heavily signposted the Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart coming together, I think, at the end of, of In Your House 12. Yeah. Yeah. Took some mistakes. But heavily signposted. I know our next match <laughs> made me really sad for a lot of reasons. Um, oh, God. This had to be one of the low points of writing your book. Oh my god, this this was I think I don't think I've gone into like deep detail <laughs> about it because the, it, it was Because you just long... tried to rip that band-aid off, I'm sure, right in the book, like get this fucking over with. God. <sighs> Do you know what? It was such a bad feud. And we're talking about Undertaker versus the Executioner for everyone listening. Armageddon rules match. But the Undertaker Terry Executioner Gordy feud it was so bad and like it was just so underwhelming because obviously you wanted to see him get his comeuppance against mankind and everything but for some reason they just wanted to put this in for no reason to extend the feud out with him and paul bearer and it just wasn't good travis terry gordy was not in a good place whoa in whoa, 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 whoa. wait him wait him whoa hold it up hold the whoa, phone whoa go on are you telling me Hold on. The executioner was Terry Gordy. Oh, did I did I just break my fame for you there? It was really really? Because I couldn't tell with the eye holes as big as my fucking fist. <laughs> Could you try to cover a guy up any less? <laughs> Everyone knew who the fuck that was. It was like the black scorpion levels of bad. Oh, saying that though, when they had the the camera on him when he was in the corner, glaring through them eye holes. Could have been Kurt Angle in a mask if Kurt Angle had existed in wrestling <laughs> at that time. Yeah. yeah. You're not telling me you didn't see that resemblance. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Hashtag them eye holes. <laughs> oh, and, I th and one of the reasons this makes me really sad is this after, you know, Gordy's terrible drug overdose from a couple years prior. He was, yeah. never the, he was never the same Terry Gordy after that. And he was obviously a step off in this. But you could tell he was really trying. You could see the frustration on Taker's face in the smash. Yeah. He wasn't pleased with this, The Undertaker. He wasn't pleased with the match, the feud. I think he didn't want to get mad at Terry Gordy because obviously there's a level of respect there from you know, the that generation to the, the former generation that paved the way. But this was the wrong man, I think. You could have put anyone else. You could have put Glenn Jacobs under the executioner hood, made him pull double duty, and this match would have been ten times better with a green Glenn Jacobs than a down-and-out Terry Gordy. Well, these two guys in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, traveled the roads together, like NWA when the Freebirds would come in. Me and Mark was there. So I'm sure Taker yeah. wanted to help out Bam Bam. You know, he was a, he was a good pal, uh, soldier, brother, Baxter, whatever the fuck they call each other. This just... <laughs> this is coming off the Buried Alive and the, the Survivor Series match with Paul Bear in a cage that... The Mankind feud that also, I feel like, went way too fucking long. Talk about long feuds that year. An entire year yeah. of Mankind stuff. Uh, Taker would go on to Vader a month later. This was kind of limbo for Taker, to be honest. After the Mankind feud, they were just kind of sticking him in there with, with whatever heel they could until they were like, you know what? The title picture in the spring of 97 was such a clusterfuck. They were like, you know, fuck it, Taker. <laughs> the fans have wanted it forever. Let's just fucking do it. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I agree with that. But uh, you had to, it's hard to define this period in his career because, like you say, it was limbo. There was nothing really for him to do. They hadn't ended the Paul Bearer feud yet. And it's, Bearer, and it's weird he was in limbo, Matt, not to cut you off, but he had this awesome new look that he just debuted, so you would think they had plans for this shit. Yeah, no, no plans for this shit other than let's get him through to January where we can put Paul Bearer with Vader and then have that go for as long as possible. And as long as possible was, what, month and a half, maybe two months? And I'm sure we'll get to those matches someday, but I, I feel like those matches should have been way better than they were. They weren't that good. And cause, now, considering it was Vader, yeah. and then considering it, it was an Undertaker who had learnt his craft. Taker you know, in his fucking with, prime. like Exactly, working with men like Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart on the road and... You know, on television, and then, you know, Mick Foley, who brought the best out of Mark Calloway, yeah. and then you just got to Vader, and it was just like, shit the bedtime. 
for me, that that feud, and I know it's nothing to do with this pay-per-view, I think Undertaker and Vader, 99% shit the bed. This was also, we've yet to mention, this was like kind of the first ever last man standing match. <laughs> I mean, th- this was everything they could think of just thrown into an Armageddon rules yeah. banner. This was no DQ, no count out, and then after a pin or submission... The wrestler had like a 10 count to resume the match. So it was basically no holds barred with a bit of Randy Savage versus Crush WrestleMania 10 thrown in. I'm glad you said the word Armageddon. I want to throw this in real quick. I know there hasn't been a new Slam Pigs this month, so I haven't had a chance to say it. The name Day One for a pay-per-view is so fucking lazy. Bring back Armageddon. I love the name. I love the stage (laughs) sets they did. Please bring back Armageddon. Continue, Matt. Oh, God. Day One, eh? Well, I am certainly interested to see what they're going to do for that, which we know is going to be not much. Um, but yeah, this match itself, like we said, no DQ, no count out. Um, pin or submission, wrestler has 10 seconds to get back up or the match is over. This was boring, I'm going to say, right up until Mankind got involved yeah. and they fought up the aisle. Take us through mankind, through the in your house set, which you know that was the most exciting part of the match for me, because oh no, not through the the tissue paper and popsicle sticks. Is it going to be okay? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and then they fucking went round the back and came out the in your house door like it was some big mystery where they'd been. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 like the biggest bit of this for me that was just oh god, after you've built us up for this, and then we don't even see it was him throwing Terry Gordy down the embankment of the arena and into the fountain. You yeah. didn't even see No, it. they just they, missed they, it. They went to, and it was freezing out. No, wait, they were in Florida, so it wasn't freezing. But still, they went to all that t- trouble to roll down the steps and fucking, God. That's it. You didn't even see him throw him. All you saw, the camera cut to outside, and Terry Gordy was just rolling like a madman down the fucking embankment. And then it cut to the Undertaker walking back through the, the backstage area to the ring. I just said fucking bollocks like, to you, Terry Gordy. We don't give a shit about your big spot you got planned. We don't give a fuck. <laughs> oh, all types of bad, Travis. Did they at least um, like do man. right by... I can't remember if they showed a replay of that or they just, they just do fuck all with it. There was no replay. No, oh, there was That's nothing. even worse. That's even, like these guys <laughs> did that. No, fuck them. We're not showing that. Look like shit. But, yeah, we've got it on camera. We're just not going to show anyone it. Fuck them. Instead, we'll show them what had to be a good minute and a half of mankind struggling to get out of a straitjacket (laughs) in the ring and up the aisle. How did he not dislocate his shoulder on that one fall, by the way? Why? (laughs) Like, God, that made me cringe, the way his arms were behind him and just landed awkward. Yeah. God bless McFoley. I don't know. this, This was just horrible. Just everything about it was horrible. And, you know, of course, The Undertaker wins this. Not jumping ahead too much because it's just unbearable. Like in ring action, was just unbearable. Uh, he wins with was it the tombstone? Yeah, tombstone, and then they counted to ten, and then boom, that was it. Done. Didn't he put yeah. him in a body bag too? Did he? Did he put him in a body bag? I, I don't like have that did. on my notes. No. Sorry, guys. It's been like two weeks since we watched this, but I think he did. I don't know. Um, I, w- I mean, it wouldn't have mattered because of shit. This has got to be up there with low points and take a screw with, like, Elegante or whatever. Yeah. And Mr. Hughes and, all, and Kamala. Like, <laughs> this could have been 1992 all over again. Nothing as bad as the Mr. Hughes feud. Good lord. Ugh. Where are we at now? We're heading, we're home stretching, Matt. Oh, we are backstage with Doc Hendricks, who is with an increasingly vicious and heelish Bret Hart and I, I like this I didn't again audio issues throughout the show are terrible I didn't hear much of what Bret Hart had to say mainly because of the audio then mainly because they played Shawn Michaels' entrance music in the arena which you know drowned Bret Hart's voice out which pissed him off even more but th- this just played more into the Bret Hart Shawn Michaels rivalry rather than the Bret Hart Sid match which was to come yeah, I mean, this was excellent stuff from Brett. Brett and this little starting to be a heel was great. Yeah, yeah. And then they went from this Travis to Shawn Mi- NCIS Shawn Michaels. I like to call <laughs> this this little version. He looked like he could have let, let any one of them crime 
solving teams dressed like that. Suit, shirt open, you know, just awful. Awful look for Shawn Michaels. How many bottles of pills do you think Sean down this day? No, that's not right. Oh. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> two. At least two. <laughs> this was that, obviously, this was that era of Sean at his worst backstage with politics. And, you know, I don't yeah. think that was a coincidence that, that Sean's music drowned out Brett's promo, you know? No. I, I, it, it played well into the annoyed Bret Hart character. Like, he was on about Sean Michaels and how selfish he was and how he didn't care about him. And then his promo was ruined by just his music and the look on his face was it was perfect main event time matt not necessarily a classic uh, oh, <laughs> one of bret hart's Christ worst title matches maybe I mean, this, one, maybe one of bret hart's worst title matches and i gotta say he's had title matches against virgil he's had title matches against fucking papa shango that i feel like we're better than this i feel like this was better though than that cage match against diesel in your house four but yeah, yeah th- this was this was still very very bad popularity for sid who they tried desperately to make a heel through the roof still yeah but apart from that this was punch kick punch kick Bret Hart tried hard to get something out of sid but it just it wasn't working travis it just wasn't working sid wasn't there popularity Wise through the roof, wrestling wise, he was just still down in the basement. The pulse of that crowd with Sid goes back to SummerSlam earlier that year with the British Bulldogs. Sid, besides Michaels, was the most over guy on that whole pay per view with the reaction. I feel like, and yeah, they and that continued in the fall with like pay per view matches against Vader and whatnot. And just you're right, and it was there, and just that unneeded heel turn with at Survivor Series. They didn't have to do that. It was. I know that the fans were starting to sour on the, the the sexy boy gimmick and the male vocally, the male section of the crowd were vocally booing him, and it was audible on camera. I don't know if that was the route to go. I think they should have rode that momentum with Sid. Yeah, but to the crowd's credit, they didn't care how Sid won it, just as long as he won it. And that, you know, I, I think the fact that he was the man to dethrone uh, despised Shawn Michaels. I just held him in good stead. Obviously, in, in, in retrospect, too, I think it all worked out in the end with like Austin and Brett. Obviously, but yeah, yeah, and Austin was you know, Austin was pre- present through this match. Attacked Brett on the outside, injured the leg. Uh, but what the fuck was Sid doing? Brett Hart is injured. The champions just stood there watching him get back in, looking at the crowd just to say, "Someone tell me what to do next." I think Sid had a little brain fart there. Oh, just terrible. It's just added to how terrible this match was. For me, hands down, either the month before or the month after, it doesn't matter which match, I think Sean worked better with Sid than Brett. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Because they, they went at the Rumble 97, uh, where Sean got the, the title back the next month, uh, in San Antonio. I, I, I think the reaction there to Sid was... It was still positive, I seem to remember, but obviously being Sean's hometown... Not as positive as it was for Sean. Mm-hmm. Obviously, your winner uh, was not Bret Hart. <laughs> no, th- th- this was a a fuck finish for me. You know, Bret and Sean had their little cat fight thing on the outside. Then Sid pie face Sean. They back in the ring. Sean leaps upon the apron. Sid Irish whips Bret into him. Power bomb. One, two, three, and then obviously Bret and Sean get into it on the outside and Brett just kicks the shit out of him. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we went off the air and that was that was its time, Matt. Um these were it the, was. These uh, were it the... wasn't for the people it wasn't for sorry to cut you off Travis. Yeah. It wasn't for the people in the arena. They got three dark matches after this. Which I didn't see well they weren't on the D V D but they were Brackus beat Doctor X. <laughs> Austin beat Goldust. And then Shawn Michaels beat Mankind in the three dark matches after the event. Back that car up real quick to that first match. Uh, Brockus and who? Uh, Dr. X. Okay. That sounds terrible. <laughs> Everything <laughs> about that makes me want to die. <laughs> Good Lord. They, wait, they, followed, they followed the title match with Brockus. 
Yeah, yeah, the last three ma- the dark, last three dark matches after the event went off air. I guess if there's anybody else on your roster to make a crowd, you know, get a concession and calm down after a title match, it's fucking Brockus, so and whatever. <laughs> what do you grade? It's time to grade. It's time. Uh, you were waiting on that oh, pun, I'm sure. I'm going Oh, I'm going D and it would have got an E had it not been for that first match. Yeah, the D I got to go right there with you. D just, mm, I don't like this era. This was obviously one of the low points of the company. Creative juices were not flowing. We we're outdated. I'm tired of saying that on this episode, but it's true. I'll say it for the last time. Competing against the red hot NWO and the other channel. No wonder when you go back and you compare the two shows, especially in this specific month, you know, for example, December 96. No wonder yeah. they are getting their heads kicked in in the ratings. And just, <laughs> man, it's crazy to see how it all worked out, though. Yeah, uh, the, you know, credit to Vince for turning this around. You know, this was his product, and then he turned it into something much bigger and much better. But yeah, for a while there, they were on the ropes, and it didn't look like they were going to hit back. With that, that puts the lid on the year 1996 on our In Your House Retro Reviews. It's done in the books for the most part. No, hands down, the In Your Houses from 96 are way better than the 95s for me. Yeah. Oh, much better. 95 Creative was just in the toilet. You know, like, when you got to the end of 95, pull the flush, let's forget it ever happened, <laughs> get it out of sight, get it out of mind. 96 was much better, um, largely, I think, due to the Shawn Michaels title reign, which produced, you know, banger after banger on pay-per-view. Mankind, Davy Boy Smith, uh, Diesel, uh, In Your House, Two, one, two, three, four, something like that. Um, yeah, just much better for me. Exactly. And I cannot wait to finally start diving into 97. I think we got like a stinker or two, but after that, man, gloves off and we get some damn good in your houses to cover. Until then, Matt, yeah. next time we return when the smack is back, what are we doing? Next time we are in, uh, we are NXT UK October review we're going to go through the best bits of nxt uk from the whole of october that will be next week and then in your house 13 right up until survivor series when we're going to do survivor series 91 for you yes on survivor series week Huss. and then so but the but the <laughs> he's hussing look the basic formula from now on is going to be Retro reviews, and then the beginning of a new month, we're going to review the previous month's NXT UK, because that's what we are, after all. Sir, it's our bread and butter. <laughs> bread and butter, whatever you prefer to call it. Beans Chalk. and toast, whatever you guys eat over there. Beans on toast, bacon sandwich, it's all that. So that's what we've got for you. Plenty of retro, plenty of NXT UK, and just oh, still good to be back. Just back where we belong. Fuck yeah, it is, man. It's so good to be black. Back black. Oh, my God. I'm not editing that out either. It's so good to be back <laughs> with you, my man. I'm really excited. It's our first time talking NXT UK in so long next week, so look for that. Thank you guys again so much for the outpouring support for welcoming us back into your little homes, wherever you listen to us, work, home, play, don't matter. The smack is back. One more time before we get out of here, unionsmack.bigcartel.com, your official Bicky TMD merch. Pro Wrestling Tees now. Rocky Baez store over there. Thank you again for featuring us. The brand new Union Smack shirt. Lulu. Um, all that stuff for your book, Matt, real quick. Yep. Lulu.com for the books. Um, Undertaker. A trip down Death Valley. NXT UK Year One. And you can find me on Twitter at Brewers Mate. And don't forget to send in your questions for next week. We will answer them all if there's a lot of them. We don't care. We'll, we'll stay on here for three hours if we need to. Yes, sir. And as always, hit that red button down below. Subscribe right here. YouTube, Habiki TMD, all the goodness, retro gaming, pro wrestling podcast. We got it all. We got your nerdy bases covered. Until then, Matt, I think there's only really one thing left to do. Until next.